Welcome to Tattooed Freaks and Business Suits, recorded live in the kitchen of the Personal Touch Career Services in Denver, Colorado. I am your host, Donna Shannon. As a professional career coach, I help people navigate the hiring maze to get to jobs they really love. In addition to working with job seekers one-on-one, I do have a book available. You can find Get a Job Without Going Crazy on Amazon. Today, my guest, awesome name ever, is Julia Rock, who is in management at ExxonMobil and has her own business as well, which is Rock Career Development. So our show's purpose is to explore and define the world of work, especially as Gen X millennials and those to come after seek positions of leadership that still allow them to be themselves. So every show we will explore a topic related to business or job searching. And of course, we're going to talk about tattoos. Our sponsor is the Personal Touch Career Services, Denver's top rated career coaches. We focus on the practical tools for your job search, such as resumes, LinkedIn profiles, job search coaching, and ongoing classes. So check out our ridiculously long website, personaltouchcareerservices.com. Once again, that's personaltouchcareerservices.com, or you know, you can just Google it. Oh, hi, Julia. Hello, how are you doing, Donna? I'm good, I'm good. Thank you very much for joining me today. Let's Thanks just dive- for having me. Absolutely, let's dive into things. And why don't you tell me a little bit more about yourself? Sure, no problem. So I am Julia Rock, and I am the owner of Rock Career Development. And Rock Career Development is a career solutions firm that empowers ambitious professionals to unlock and achieve their full potential. And what that really means is we we understand what your career goals are, and we develop tangible strategies and plans to help you achieve them while getting paid. It's not just about finding the job you love, it's also about getting paid for it. Uh, I also have a corporate career. I am in finance management at ExxonMobil, where I oversee an amazing team of financial analysts and consultants overseeing about a billion dollars in operating expenses. So I'm a very busy bee. I like to tell people that I'm a time management expert. Definitely. And one of the things that I think is really unique about your practice in particular is that your main goal and focus when coaching people is to help them realize and grab into a six-figured income. That's right. Perfect. I think that, you know, where everyone's trying to get to that next level of salary and, you know, everyone talks about fulfillment and they want to feel good at work. And while that's important, when you go home, if you don't have enough money coming in, you're still not feeling fulfilled. You're still not happy. And while money doesn't cure everything, it sure does help. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> there was actually a study done about 10 or 15 years ago uh, that said happiness, the levels of happiness definitely go up at the point where you're earning $50,000 in income or more. Now, that's like right. way over 10 years old, but it's like, yeah, money doesn't buy happiness, but you know, it's a lot easier to be happy when you're not worrying about how the rent is going to get paid. 
Exactly, exactly. And that's why for my coaching practice, uh, when we talk through where you want to go in your career, I always ask, how much money do you want to earn? And be honest, don't give me a, a low figure because you feel like you, you, know, you don't want to be greedy. What do you want to make? Because then we can build a real plan to get you there. But if you tell me that you want to earn 50,000, I can help you get to 50,000. But if you want to make 150, then you need to say that so we can build you a, a real action plan. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk a moment about the glass ceiling, uh, especially in your case and your own story, because not only did you break into management levels, but you've done this in a male dominated industry as well. And you're also a woman of color. So tell me a little bit about what that was like for you. Um, it's, it's, it's definitely been a challenging experience because you feel as if you always have to, to do a little bit more and work a little bit harder. Uh, fortunately, I was raised by parents who are, are West Indian who all they focused on was executing with excellence. Mm. You know, they came over very poor from Barbados. And so when they raised us in this country, they said, hey, you have the opportunities that we didn't have, you know, coming in as immigrants. So there's no reason why you can't uh, achieve your goals. And so I have adopted that mindset that if I continue to execute with excellence, that I should be able to make the steps forward to achieve my goals. And I have uh, encountered the roadblocks because there's nothing like working really hard for an opportunity and you see someone who's a white male who has yeah. less experience than you uh, get the opportunity that you've been vying for. Uh, but what, what I have been able to do is, is build my confidence such that I've been able to have clear conversations with folks about my own career potential. And I've got the receipts, as I like to call them, to say, look, I've already demonstrated X, Y, and Z. So even getting this job, prior to getting this job, uh, there was concerns about where they were going to place me next. And it seemed like it was almost going to be a lower level position. Ooh. And I went in and, and said, you know, this is where I am in my career. This is what I've delivered thus far. Uh, my expectation is X, Y, and Z. And typically as a woman of color, uh, it's like, well, you don't want to be the angry black woman. You don't want to be aggressive. And I those, you know, I had those thoughts, but I said, you know, I'm the CEO of my career. And the only way for me to take the step forward is if, for, if it's for me to push it. So I had that very frank conversation uh, with my boss's boss at the time, not even, not even my boss, uh, my boss's boss at the time. And, um, and it, I was very clear about what I wanted. And at that point, uh, he had no choice but to understand, well, this is where she's coming from. This is what her ranking has been thus far. She's been at the top of the rank pool from the time she's entered the company. There's no real reason for us not to put her in the right opportunity. Right. I think it's really important to recognize what your achievements are and articulate them to other people. It's very, very early in my career. Uh, my answer to that question of what's your greatest weakness was I did not self-promote, meaning that I did not tell the boss all the extra things that I was doing, even though my team was very aware of it. Anytime I had downtime, I'd go and help anybody and you know, get them to teach me how to do additional things. But when review time came around, the boss actually marked me down lower because she didn't know about all this extra work that I was putting in there. So it's, it's between bragging versus making management aware of what your potential is and what you've already achieved. And, and I think we just need to, and I don't want to sidetrack the conversation too much, but um, I don't, I think we need to get out of the thinking that 
you know, saying what we're doing is bragging. And there's nothing, honestly, in a corporate environment, there's nothing wrong with bragging. Mm-hmm. And, and, and here's what I mean. Um, you don't have to walk around saying, I'm the king of the world. That's a different uh, conversation. But what I have seen, especially from, from men, is that they have no problem outlining for anybody, this is what I want, this is what I deliver, this is the value that I bring, period. It's for women, I find that, and, and me, myself, I can speak for, is that I'm always trying to maybe temper it a little bit because I don't want to sound like I'm, I'm saying too much or I'm conceited in some way or arrogant, but I realize that my male counterparts don't have that issue. They're mm-hmm. fine just, just walking in and saying, and so what I tell my clients is, if you're thinking about asking for a raise or trying to get promoted, keep a little cheat sheet of the things that you're doing. It doesn't have to be anything lengthy, but just something with a little bit of bullet points, a, a few notes on, these are the things I here are the results. And that way, when you have one-on-ones with your manager um, or kind of intermittent performance reviews that you can pull out that list of receipts to say, well, just so that you know, I finished this project under budget and we used fewer resources and now we've, the, the project is up and running and so forth. And that way your manager is constantly aware of what you're doing because right. that, because if you don't tell them, they won't know. Right. That's also really important too to track all your quantifiable metrics just when it comes down to building your resume as well. Exactly. Exactly. So let's dive in a little bit more into the coaching that you've been doing. So when did you start reaching out to others to help them with their careers and, and why did you choose to get involved with that? Uh, so it's a, it's a very funny story. So I had started out writing resumes for, for friends of mine way back in college. So 2006. Um, I had just started writing resumes because I had learned so much about it in my uh, in my honors program at, in college. So I was in the career uh, and professional development office on a weekly basis. I just loved being there, attending all of the workshops and just learning all I could. And then I started to apply that to helping friends with their resumes. But then over time, people would get the resume, they would get the interview, and then it's like, okay, well, now I, I don't know how to close the deal. And so as I built those skills in college, I just started helping people informally because they would come to me and say, okay, well, you help me with my resume. How do you think I can answer this question in my interview or this question in, in, in my interview? And so I built the, ex- I built the expertise that way. And finally in 2013, I helped my friend, uh, I coached him to his first six figure job. And it was at that point that he said, hey, I know that you like doing this for free, but you really should start charging people. I mean, I'm thankful right. for the free help because it got me a, a six-figure job, but you know, you can really build a business around this because you love helping people, you know, elevate their careers. Why not get paid for it too? Of course, of course. So I think one of the first steps in any kind of career planning is addressing any limitations that someone might be uh, using to hold themselves back. So sometimes that's like a belief, but other times, you know, it's like concrete stuff in the real world, like skills-based or a required education. So when you're working with somebody, where do you start? So, so the first thing I start with is truly understanding where they are and then what, where they're trying to get to. Because if you are someone who started out as a, as a sales rep and you now want to be in finance management, 
there's a bit of a step change there. And the question is, what additional education do you need or what certifications do you need? So it's really about understanding the person's immediate experience and not just the experience that they have kind of just listed out, but let's talk about projects that you've worked on. Let's talk about opportunities that you've had that may not be easily discernible from your resume because again, your resume is just, you know, it's a one page or two page document. It doesn't encompass everything. And then try to think about well, where is it that you're actually trying to get to? And is there anything that is, is it truly just a roadblock, a mental roadblock and, and that you have to get past? Or is it truly that you need an additional certification? You know, if you want to get into project management, you can do some project management without um, you, you know, without having a formal PMP, but in order for you to really get the salaries and things that you're looking for, typically they're looking for you to have that certification. So it's understanding where you are and where you want to get to. So that's how we get started. Yeah. And I agree with that. It's got to be the mix of the motivation and the practical side of things. And uh, one of the strategies that I use in working with people, and it actually comes back into my own history as well, because back when I was still in HR, I decided I wanted to move into HR management. And I had eight years experience at that time. And you look at the job descriptions and they say, yep, that's fine. That's all you need. But I went six months and I didn't get a single interview. And I'm like, well, what's going wrong here? I write resumes professionally. Why am I not getting interviews? And I went back through all the job descriptions and every single one of them required a certification in HR as well as a master's degree preferred in HR and definitely a bachelor's specifically in the HR field. And that's where I was like, oh, well, I see it in every single job. That's what I call a drop dead requirement. If I was yes. serious about that career path, I absolutely had to have that qualification. So the choice was either change my mind and do something different or go back to school. And I went back to school and halfway through school, I got into entrepreneurship instead. But yeah, it's that dreams and hopes and manifesting is so awesome we got to look at the practical concrete tools as well. And, and I'm so glad that you said that because, because the manifest and dreaming and affirming, I feel like that has become so overblown and, and, and kind of letting people think that, Hey, you don't actually have to do the work, but if you just believe in yourself and you really just put it out there into the universe, it'll, it'll find its way to you. But especially when you're, when it comes to a career and you're looking to make a certain level of money. And, and I think that that's the distinction. You can make money or earn a salary without certain certifications or qualifications, but it's not going to be, or potentially not going to be at the level that you're looking for. If you right. want some sort of leadership, executive management level expert, um, um, expert type of role, you typically have to have something additional. And the job descriptions usually have it outlined. Yeah. Uh, sometimes they say kind of nice to have requirements. Those may, if you position yourself well, you may not need to have those, but they have the, the kind of drop dead. You've got to have this certification. You, you have to have this many years of experience. And if you don't have any of that, you know, you have to ask yourself, am I truly being competitive uh, or am I going to be competitive if I apply for this role or do I even have a shot if I'm not meeting any of the requirements? Right. And I like the fact that you point out any of the requirements because it's not necessary to have 100%. Absolutely come, not. Coming from my HR background, I know most of the time you're, we're not going to find that perfect candidate. And there, you can't tell from the job description what is going to be the most important criteria. Now, if it says like master's required, that's pretty obvious. 
But uh, some of the other things by like networking and getting in touch with hiring managers directly can help overcome some of those weaknesses that HR may have cut you for. And, and, and I think that, that it's a good distinction that you're drawing there because I find that a lot of times either, um, especially for women, and I, I, I have a lot of women clients and I find that they, they feel like they can't apply for something because they don't have 100% of the job requirements. And it's like, well, if you've got a good bit of them, you should give it a shot. Yeah. But, you know, you don't have to have 100%. If you don't have any of the required items, then, okay, well, that's a different conversation. But if you've got a few, maybe not all, but you've got a few and you can get positioned well, you can be competitive there because, again, you may have the, the, the most critical of the requirements that they're looking for. So that's where you really need to give it a shot. Mm -hmm. So let's get back into uh, these targets for those larger salaries, the six figures. So once the clients believe that that's actually possible and uh, they've got the career path planned out, so what's the next step? Like how far in advance should short-term and long-term career planning be? So, so I typically work with clients for them to have a, a short-term kind of 90 to 120 day plan. So I, I don't do kind of, hey, we're going to get you that next job in 30 days. I mean, it's possible, but I want to give folks enough time to do the research and to really define what it is that they're looking for, where they want to go. Because just because the salary is possible doesn't mean that the companies you're looking at offer them. It doesn't mean that that particular role at that company offers it. So there's a lot more that goes into it that I want to make sure that the clients have, have time for. And, and so in terms of career planning past that, when we go through the coaching process, it's also asking not what you want to do right now, but then also thinking about, well, where do you want to be in five or 10 years? Because the career moves that you make right now and the way that you position yourself can set you up for the next five years, for the next 10 years. And that's why it's so important to define, well, what it is that you're looking for? What are your goals? And how can we structure a plan to get you there so that you're on the path for that five to 10 years out? So I would yeah. say from a short-term perspective, it's, it's typically uh, 90 to 120 days that I, that I work through the process uh, for them to kind of lay out that plan. And then we start forward thinking, okay, well, in the next three years, this is where I want to get to. In the next five years, this is where I want to get to. Um, and then we have kind of a stretch, hey, in the next 10, this is also what I'm looking at. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, looking long-term like that, I think is real important. Uh, in my practice, I work with a lot of people who are mid-career or above. And there are like, well, I always got my jobs through networking. So it wasn't like I really was hot about this industry or I was really super jazzed with this company. It's just that's where my friends worked. And they like have what I would call a blowing leaf career path. And then okay. now they're in their late 30s, 40s, early 50s. And they're like, oh, wow, I did want to do this. I do want to break into here. And then they're having an extremely difficult time because their work history was so random. 
Exactly. And so that's why when I talk to my clients, it's about, well, what do you want your career to look like? When I go through the coaching program with them, it's like, what do you want your career to look like? What does success in this career path look like to you? Because then we can work backward from there because you want all the steps from here to there to be strategic in nature. If you have this kind of tumbleweed vibe, I'm going wherever the wind blows. Sure. You may, you can continue to be employed, but in terms of the level of success or leadership or management or responsibility that you're looking for, you may not be able to achieve that simply because you haven't taken the necessary steps to put you on that path. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things I do in my practice is I do a lot of the tactical strategies, such as getting in, you know, contacting hiring managers, things like that. So what kind of strategies do you use? Sure. Uh, so, so when it comes to strategies, I, I, I take the step back and looking at the big picture first. So that's where we get into what is it that you actually want? Because how you move after that from a tactical perspective um, is defined by, okay, well, where do you want to go? So we get that big picture strategic session first. And then after that, we then think about the research phase. And so now that you know what you want, who's done it before, um, you know, what companies offer, what you're looking for. So we get into the actual research phase and that, and, and that takes some time. And that's why I have that, those several months for my plan, because up front, you're going to have to do the research about, well, where is it that you want to go? What companies offer it? What industries offer it? Uh, what kind of work environment do you want? All these things take some research because what you think you want sometimes in practice may not actually be, be it. I, I remember I wanted to be an investment banker. And then after I did the research and talked to my friends who were investment banking, I said, I don't want that job at all, no matter how much it pays. Right. And so, it's, it's, so the next thing is really that research phase. Then after that, that's when we build that, we build that plan. What is, it, uh, what is it that you need to do in your current job? So thinking about executing well where you are. So that's kind of a tactical strategy where it's like executing well, what projects may you need to get on, what, what committees, what associations you need to be involved with to help start to build that, uh, build those receipts we talked about so that you can have something to leverage when you go into a salary conversation or a job search conversation looking for that salary. The next thing we're also looking at, we talked a little bit about connecting with hiring managers, but it's also about networking outside of just people who you think are decision makers. Right. What peers do you have that, you know, do they work at a particular company um, that, that is of interest to you? Do you know former employees? Do you have a mentor or a sponsor who can open doors for you? Are you part of any sort of critical associations where people who maybe decision makers are in the leadership there or they're involved in the committees there? So it's really taking that research and then applying it to execution strategies, networking, developing relationships, uh, and then executing in your current job as well. Uh, and, and, and then kind of thinking forward, okay, well, what do I need to do next? What is it? So what, when do I start the application process? Mm-hmm. When do I need to get my resume actually developed and defined? Because you've been trying to add things all this time, all these, you know, all the nuggets that you've been working on in the job, all the associations and all of these things. So now when do we need to get that ready? Is my LinkedIn where it needs to be? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, do I have a, a correct cover letter? So it's really going from that strategy, where are we going, to then doing the research and then translating that into an, a tactical execution plan that touches each of those facets. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
Yeah. So do you think it's possible for a, a candidate to be too confident? Um, I think so, uh, because we all think we're the best thing since sliced bread. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so, so part of the conversation that I have with clients is when they say that, hey, I want to work at, uh, let's say I want to work at Disney. I want to be, you know, director of marketing at Disney. That sounds like an awesome job, but what have you done that you think would allow you to be uh, or to be considered for the role of director of marketing at, at Disney? And mm -hmm. if they truly can articulate that, then, then my question to them is, do you really think that this is the right opportunity for you? Perhaps you need to come into some sort of lead role in marketing or supervisory or advisor role and, and build up from there before you get to the director level. Or uh, I had a client especially um, with like entertainment industry is getting involved in entertainment. <laughs> for right, sure. exactly. And have any experience involved in, in, in entertainment at all. I mean, that's just a that's just a separate question altogether, because it's a, at least if you had something you could build from there. But if you've, you know, if you've been working in marketing and say fashion, or, you know, or some sort of ad agency that has nothing to do with entertainment, the question is, you have to even get your foot in the door to, to for someone to understand well, why would we even consider you for marketing in this space, when you don't have any expertise. Um, I previously had a client who was looking at a director level role. Um, in the nonprofit space, but we had to talk through, okay, do you have all the experience you need right now for that director level opportunity? Or is there an interim step that you need to take? Perhaps it's not a lateral move, but it's kind of only a slightly upward rather than a sharp step upward. Is there an interim step that we can take that will allow you to continue to, to build that base of knowledge, build that expertise, build those leadership and management qualities that would then position you well? Because there's nothing wrong with taking an interim step if you know that that, that, that will catapult you to that role that you're looking for um, and so it is possible be, to be too confident so I always challenge my my clients to ask the question of like okay if this is what you want please demonstrate to me based on the requirements based on what we know and the research we've done you know how do you know that you, this is a fit for you and if you're saying well I've you know I've been working in marketing for 10 years that doesn't qualify you to be the director of marketing at, at Disney it just it just doesn't right right so let's talk about salary negotiations, which is often a struggle for a lot of people because I, I, I know for a fact a lot of people don't negotiate their salaries. And, you know, here's a big secret. When I was in HR, I often had a second offer in my back pocket, but most people didn't ask for it. They just took that first offer. And unfortunately, women are less likely to try to negotiate their salaries than men are which is just one of many factors that leads into the salary gaps. Right. So what's some of your favorite techniques to become a better negotiator? So, so, so I saw a staggering statistic, I think it was last year, where it said about 68% of women don't negotiate. That's so, so to your point, I mean, we're, women are just more likely to accept the, the first offer. And so when it comes to becoming a better negotiator, it's all about confidence to start. Uh, know, and, and that comes from knowing who you are, what you bring to the table, and then also knowing your worth and your value. 
Mm-hmm. It's understanding what is the value of my skills. I've been in finance for, for several years now. And so if I'm going, let's say, you know, I, I get fed up at ExxonMobil one day, I flip over the desk and I'm ready to go look for another finance job. The, que- the question is, do I know what my skills are worth? At mm-hmm. this point, I've gone beyond the analyst or I've gone beyond the lead role. I've been able to oversee a team. I've been able to execute projects successfully um, and in the manufacturing space, within the chemical space. So there, there are things that now have added on to my experience that some other finance person who hasn't walked my walk that they can't bring to the table. So when it comes to being uh, my favorite technique, it's really being confident and then knowing what your skills and your value is worth and being able to articulate that. So take the time and the pen and paper to do the research on, you know, kind of market rates and so forth, but then think about, well, what are my additional skills worth? What is it that I, what is my secret sauce that I bring to the table? Because Mm -hmm. that's how you get paid more. Companies are willing to pay for value. So if you're able to to demonstrate why you have more value than anyone else who, who they've given an offer to, they're more likely to pay you but that comes from knowing yourself and knowing what your skills and and value is worth. Right. And that really breaks down to like, you know, one of three things, can you make money, save money or solve problems? And if you can prove just one of those things, that's a concrete value to the company itself. Exactly. Better, faster, cheaper. Yeah. Yeah. And so if you can demonstrate, you know, the fact that, like you said, a problem solving or that you can introduce something disruptive that you can, turn things on its head to create something new where nothing had been before. They're also looking for that kind of innovative mindset um, or strategic mindset that they may not have had because some companies have been stuck in their ways for for so long. They're looking for a fresh set of eyes and a fresh perspective, but you've got to demonstrate that you've got those disruptive capabilities. You can't just say so on paper. Right, right. And some of my favorite tricks is, it's very similar to what you're saying, but it's just the the basics of being comfortable talking about money. And I don't care if you're male, female, or other, uh, we are not all necessarily trained in how to talk with confidence about money. So when that question comes up in the interview process, you know, and they say, what kind of salary are you seeking? It's like, literally, you don't flinch. You don't break eye contact. You don't second guess. And have the research to back you up like salary.com or payscale.com to figure out what is reasonable within your market job description experience level and all the rest of that do you have solid quantifiable metrics of what the market is doing like i'll give you a quick story about this one and how what i mean with this talking about money comfortably so this was like way back in 2003 so the numbers are going to sound ridiculous but I uh, was hiring an assistant for myself and the boss uh, didn't want to pay very much. She was kind of cheap. And I showed her some market research. I'm like, look, I want to have the freedom to pay this person up to $15 an hour because it was kind of a tough job. Back then that didn't sound so ridiculous right now. That looks silly. I know. But uh, I would interview these assistants, and most of them just happened to be female. And I would get to that point, and I'd say, so what kind of salary are you looking for? And they're like, well, I was hoping to make $14 an hour, but I'll take 12 No, no, no. And they would look so apologetic that they even said the 14 
And I'm like, okay, well, thank you very much and make a note. And then when I go and make the job offer, guess what I offered them? I, ho I, ho I would hope the 14, but. <laughs> uh, no, no, I, but most people say, oh, you offered 12. I'm like, no, I didn't, because I'm not an asshole. I gave, right. I gave them 13. And the I, I, that was going to be my next thing. I'm like, okay, I, I don't think you did 12, but I'm like, I don't know if you gave them the 14. So maybe you split the difference. <laughs> okay, like, okay. You're like, I know Dawn is not a total jerk. At least I hope not. But, at, least I, at least I hope not. <laughs> yeah. But the thing um, is, you know, I came in at that lower salary. I didn't roast them because they said their lowest number, but they were happy because they got the, a little bit of a boost. And my boss was happy because I saved her money. And, exactly. you know, if they had said, or if they had even countered offered when I said the 13 and they said, you know what, I really need the 14. I totally would have given it to him. I would have gone all the way up to 15, but they never asked. And they didn't say their numbers with confidence. And, and can I just uh, come in here with a little, with a little bit of a tip? So two quick tips when it comes to salary negotiation, you always start at the top of your range, the yeah. top of your range. Don't do the middle. Don't do the bottom. If, if your range is a hundred thousand to, to 125, start with 125. Yeah. And uh, just a pro tip on top of that is make your number as specific as possible. Don't give round numbers 125,000. Ask for for 125, 780, or whatever the number, you know, whatever the specific number you can come up with, because it shows or gives the indication to those who are hiring that you have done additional research. Because if you're just throwing blanket round numbers out there, you know, it sounds like it's a range. But if you yeah. say my salary ask is 123, you know, 250. That's very different than I just want 122 or 123,000. So start at the very top of your range and be as specific in your number ask as possible. Right. Now, I wouldn't say my specific number until deeper into the interview itself because HR now does this thing that it, it used to be taboo to talk about money until the, we're discussing job offers. Now, right. because right. of the recession, HR screens candidates on salary range. And I mean, you could be talking to the HR assistant who's doing a phone screening and they're going to ask, so what's your salary range? And that's where I say, nope, you got to turn this around. Don't give that number to HR. So in instead say something along the lines of, well, I'd love to love, love to find out a little bit more about this position. Can you give me an idea of the salary range you're hiring within? And then they'll go, well, you, you know, we're looking at 100 to 125. And then you go, yep, that's within my range. And right. then that's it. And if you were like going to say, oh, I'm going to do 80 to 100 for this job, you would have left 20,000 bucks sitting on the table. That's why you need to do that old trick of whoever says a number first loses and you want to get them to say the number first. Exactly. And so, yeah, so definitely the specific number is more for when you're, when you're giving, when you're giving your ask, but, mm. but, but to your point, uh, I would hold off on, on giving numbers as, as long as possible. If yeah. they're asking, first of all, they shouldn't be asking, asking you for your old salary history. So if you can get out of that conversation, well, I'm really open to, uh, to a competitive salary that will, and an organization that will help me to grow my career. So I'm interested in learning a little bit more or 
you know, I, I'm, I'm here to bring my skills and expertise to the table. So I'm interested in what you're looking to offer for the role. I would hold off on, on providing any numbers as long as possible, uh, simply because you want them to, to talk about what they're willing to pay, because that helps then to eliminate whether or not this is, is even a job fit for you, because they can say, well, we're really looking to pay 75 to, you know, to 90. And if you're at 130, I mean, there's not much discussion after that. Right. Uh, and, and it allows you to, uh, what I like to say, maintain the upper hand in the conversation, um, because then also if they're on the cusp, if they're, if it's like, hey, we were offering 110 and you're at 120, you can then try to negotiate upward uh, because you could, you could at least feel like, okay, they're nearby what I'm looking for. So I would always let them show their hand first. Yeah. And if you're scared about, you know, finding out, oh no, they were below my range and I won't get the interview. It's like, well, if it's not a good fit, it's not a good fit, but sometimes they'll come back. So there was like one job I had the, you know, I had my salary range on my cover letter. Just okay. that's, you can do that strategy. Uh, again, if you don't always recommend it anymore, but this was like well over a decade ago. And the company called me and they said that the top of their range was $5,000 below my minimum that was on the letter, which isn't really my minimum, of course. And they said, will you still come in and interview with us? And I was all like, well, no, I, I really need to stick to my guns on those numbers. But if your salary range changes, please feel free to give me a call back. And I knew what they were offering was below market value. So a couple of weeks goes by lo and behold, they give me a call because they couldn't find anybody decent at that price because they were underpaying. And they said, okay, we've changed our salary range. Will you come in and meet with us now? Which I did. And then when the salary offer came in, it was at that $5,000 mark above. So of course, what did I do when I got the offer? I made a counter offer. I was going to say you countered offered, obviously, because they, they came in because the, the fact is now they show that they've got the money. You can probably get a better deal at this point. And especially and it shows that they really want you because they came back. So mm -hmm. now you so now you know that they're seeking you out. So that, I was going to say that you definitely had to counter offer uh, because now you've kind of got the, the bird in the hand because they, they, they want you now. Um, and, and the fact that they were willing to push their salary range up to that point, they probably got a little bit more where that came from. They actually didn't. They came back and they said, well, we extended our range. And I go, well, how about we build in a review in six months and have another discussion about this? And if you're going to do that, make sure you get it in paper, you know, get that in writing. Because that's not the kind of things that amazingly everybody forgets. When <laughs> yes, but they don't get it right. I, I was actually on a on another podcast, and I and I told them, you know, make sure that as you end that conversation, whether it's a a, a salary uh, conversation with your boss, a performance review, uh, an offer letter, whatever it might be, make sure that that you talk about getting it in writing. I'll, I'll wait to hear from HR or when it, I'll wait to get the response in writing from you, um, or you can you can provide it in writing at this email address, whatever the way you have to say it is, but you have to make sure that you get that documented because in the end they can always say, well, we never offered you that. I don't remember that conversation. And if you don't have any paperwork to back that up, you know, um, you're kind of, you know, SOL at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, uh, now it's time to get to one of my favorite parts of the shows where we get to talk about the tattoo of the day. So Julia, do you have a tattoo? 
I do not have what? a tattoo. I, I know, I know, but, but I, I am a tattoo admirer though. I okay. am a tattoo admirer. A, a lot of my good friends, I, they have, they all have enough tattoos for, for three people. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but, but I am a tattoo admirer, especially when I see the, the sleeves. I'm, I'm a big fan of sleeves. I mean, I've, I've worked in corporate America, so I haven't, I haven't um, decided to do that. But I mean, my, I've got friends who work in corporate America who wear their polo shirts and they've got these uh, amazing tattoo sleeves. I've just, I just haven't been that bold just mm. yet <laughs> so if you were to get a tattoo what would you get um well at this point i would get um uh, my, my grandfather's name so my grandfather passed away in september and he and i were were really close so i would i would most likely get his name and the uh his his, his life dates and then uh something with it with an angel around it so it'd be really about my grandfather at this point that makes sense. That makes sense. So uh, thank you very much again, Julia, for joining me. And why don't you tell us if uh, people want to know more, how can they get in touch with you? Absolutely. Absolutely. I keep my online branding very, very consistent. So if you want to find me on the web, you can head to my website at um, it's www.rockcareer.com. And then across Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, you can find me at Rock Career. And if you want to email me and get in contact, you can uh, you can utilize the email address hello at rockcareer.com. So so it's pretty consistent the branding. Uh, you can find we're at Rock Career. Great. So thank you very much for joining me. My guest today has been Julia Rock. I am Donna Shannon. And as my producer always reminds me, gotta, if you like what we're doing, hit the like button and follow us. If you don't like what you're doing, keep your comments to yourself. And uh, we shall see all of y'all next time.